currently watching Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I love movies like this. They're incredibly cheesy, and it's getting really intense. Okay, I'm gonna pause this. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, why are we obsessed with vampires? I love vampires. I think they're so cool. From Edward Cullen in Twilight, Brad Pitt in Interview with a Vampire, we can't get enough of these vampire hunks. Although it's kind of up for debate if Gary Oldman as Count Dracula in this movie is a heartthrob. He's kind of creepy with that long hair. But I think the allure is that vampires live forever. And honestly, who doesn't want to live forever? I want to live forever. But it's impossible, right? Does anything really live forever? You know what I think this calls for? I think this calls for an episode of Little Curiosities. So let's talk about it, shall we? Hello, hello, all you wonderful peeps. Welcome to the podcast, Little Curiosities. I'm your host, Kendall Long, and you may know me from the Bachelor franchise. I was that weird girl that collected taxidermy. And a lot of you may not know the reason why I collected taxidermy is because I study zoology, entomology, botany, and pretty much everything that has to do with the natural world. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about all the things that I love researching and that spark curiosity in me. So I'm not on a quest for love anymore. I am on a quest for knowledge. So thank you all for joining me. This podcast episode is about immortal animals, animals that supposedly live forever, that are said to live forever. And I want to begin this podcast with one of my favorite quotes from the movie Troy, where Brad Pitt played Achilles. And the quote goes, the gods envy us. They envy us because we're mortal, because any moment might be our last. Everything is more beautiful because we're doomed. You will never be lovelier than you are now. I think that's a very beautiful way to say, hey, you know what? We are not going to live forever. We are going to die. But it makes every moment that much more precious because it could be taken away from us. The dictionary definition for immortal is living forever, never dying, or decaying. But surely all things must die. Or do they? Is any living thing immortal? Are there immortal animals out there? Most animals die from biological aging. It's also known as senescence. It's the deterioration of an organism's body and bodily functions, which make it more likely to die and less likely to reproduce. So yes, there's a point in all living things' lives where their body breaks down because it's been working so hard for so long and it just can't keep up the good fight. But there are exceptions to that rule. The animal that's probably most brought up when it comes to immortality is lobsters. I used to think lobsters were immortal, and it was because of memes like, lobsters are biologically immortal and will never die unless killed. Or another meme that I saw that said, what if scientists made humans immortal from lobster genes? It was a meme from like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, or Phil and Ted's Excellent Adventure when Phil is looking all confused and cute. I think Keanu Reeves is adorable, don't judge me. And also, I saw another meme that was my favorite because I'm a huge fan of Star Trek. It said, live long and lobster. And lobster claws kind of look like Star Trek hand signals. Anyway, the fact is they might not live forever. But before I get into all the do lobsters live forever or not, I want to tell you a few lobster facts. The average weight of a lobster is around 1.5 to 2 pounds. Usually their max weight is 3 to 4 pounds. 
put a pin in that because I'm going to tell you about some lobsters that get way more ginormous than that. Also, the average body length of a lobster is around 9 inches or 230 millimeters. And because its nervous system is similar to that of a grasshopper and ants, lobsters are sometimes called bugs. That's why they have the nickname cockroaches of the sea. Also another reason why they seemed to be less desirable is that prisoners used to dine on lobsters because they were so plentiful in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They were said to be so abundant that they would pile up two feet high when they washed ashore. And there were so many of them, in fact, that people used to use them as fertilizer and fish bait. I wish I lived in those times. I would eat all the lobster and people would think I was crazy, but I'd be living my best life. In fact, lobsters were known as the poor man's meal because they were a cheap source of protein. And lobsters do have a lot of protein. There's around 28 grams of protein per cup of lobster. So you get a lot of bang for your buck. Well, maybe not a lot of your bang for your buck now because lobsters are so expensive. Why are they so expensive? Well, they only became more expensive with technology of canned food and trains. I know it doesn't sound like those two things correlate, but they do. So it started in the 1980s when canning became more mainstream. And during this time, people were trying foods that they were never able to try before because food would spoil before it reached them. And so canned lobster became extremely popular. Also, train tickets were a lot cheaper. That meant that more people were traveling to New England cities that were abundant in lobster. And then because they tried it in a can, now fresh lobster became even more popular. And this increased the demand and made it a heck of a lot more expensive. So I looked up the price for an average lobster dinner. And now, quote, reasonable lobster dinner in the city. It's one of the most expensive items on the menu at around $30 to $45 for one and a half pound of fleshy lobster meat. It's a lot of money for a meal. I think it's worth it for special occasions. On a side fact, lobsters aren't red. The actual colors in nature are green, yellow, bright blue, and the only way a lobster turns red is when it's cooked. There's a protein inside the lobster's shell called crustocyanin, and when it's exposed to extreme temperatures, such as boiling in a pot of water, it breaks down and turns bright red. Also, a fun side fact that I like to mention, especially when talking about eating lobsters, is that lobsters pee out of their faces. There's a little section or a little hole right under their eyes. They urinate in each other's faces to communicate. So whether they're mating or fighting, apparently there's some chemical inside their pee that lets other lobsters know, hey, I want to get it on, or hey, I hate your guts. <laughs> I honestly can't tell the difference. Okay, so back to the main question of this episode. Is it true? Are lobsters immortal? I did myself a little Google search, and the Natural History Museum says while some animals, given the right circumstances, could be considered immortal, lobsters are not among them. Like other decapod or 10-footed crustaceans, lobsters continue to grow throughout their lives. Scientists call this indeterminate growth. And it turns out that this continued growth leads to the inevitable death of the lobster, aka they're not immortal. Why? 
because molting. Young lobsters will grow rapidly. They molt many, many times a year, probably around 25 times in the first five to seven years of their life. And each time they molt, they get larger and larger. Adult lobsters don't molt as often as the youngins. Males usually molt about once a year. Females probably once every two years. And this is why molting leads to death. So with each molt, an increased amount of energy is needed to regrow that tough shell. And eventually the lobster gets too big and can no longer molt. And the lobster will die of exhaustion. So lobsters don't age like we do. As they age, they don't weaken like us mushy biology humans. They continue eating, reproducing, growing, and feeding as normal. They can even regenerate lost limbs. When it comes to humans and aging, we stop growing, we lose the ability to reproduce, and, well, unfortunately, we can't regrow limbs. I really wish I could, though. That would come in handy. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Starting the awful puns already. But what is the key to lobsters not aging the same way as humans do? Well, the key is in their DNA. One explanation for lobsters remaining, quote, youthful during their life is that lobsters can endlessly repair their DNA. Organisms are all animals that have cells that contain chromosomes, which are structures made up of DNA. These are called eukaryotic organisms. Most, if not all, animals we know of are eukaryotic, so we all age in the same way. The ends of the chromosome structures are capped off by sequences called telomeres. So each time a cell divides, the telomeres are shortened. Cells divide all the time for growth, maintenance, healing— But it's only when these telomeres are too short that the cell can no longer divide. And this is how we will inevitably die. But lobsters are different. They have an infinite supply of an enzyme called telomerase throughout their cells. And it's this enzyme that can extend a cell's life by regenerating telomeres. This equals putting off biological aging or the loss of the cell's power or ability to divide and grow. This is called senescence. So lobsters don't deteriorate with age like most animals do, but they can also die from predators, disease, and natural happenings like every other living thing. In the case that they're not picked off by some predator, how old do they get? First off, how can you tell a lobster's age? Scientists don't really have a tried-and-true way of determining a lobster's age, and that's because the size and weight of an individual lobster can give you a guesstimate, but it's not really a reliable way of determining the age of a lobster accurately because the size and weight is highly variable. And this is a problem because when a lobster molts, they molt their entire exoskeleton, including their digestive tract and their gastric mill. I had no idea what a gastric mill was inside of a lobster, so I did a bit of research, and it turns out that the gastric mill is kind of like teeth inside of the stomach. It consists of a series of calcified plates that are moved against each other by powerful muscles. This makes a very effective grinding apparatus, and it takes large chunks of food and grinds them down when they're swallowed. It kind of makes me think of a mortar and pestle. You know that big stone bowl with like that stone stick and you can put spices inside of it and ground them down all fine? That's kind of how I imagine a gastric mill is. And it's one of those hard parts of the lobster that it gets rid of when it molts. In fact, the lobster gets rid of all its hard parts every time it molts. So determining an age can be very tricky. 
if there was a trace of anything that was more solid left behind with every molt, it would help with age because without them, guessing a lobster's birth in years is difficult. Imagine that humans molted every year or so, and that would get rid of every scar, wrinkle, mole, and it would basically be like we were newborn little babies. And <laughs> It would be really difficult to tell how old we were as well because age is something that you can see externally. But those smart researchers, they came up with a way to guess a lobster's age, and it's by checking the fat on their eye stalks. When I read this, I thought it was the weirdest thing. Judging by the chub around a lobster's eye, you can see how old it is, but apparently that stays when a lobster molts. So the assumption is that older lobsters would have more buildup of fat residue around their eye stalks. And I'm telling you, I looked up lobster eye stalk fat to see if I could tell how old a lobster was by the fat around its eyes, and I had no luck. I really couldn't see anything. But apparently, it is measurable, and that's what matters. So armed with that information, scientists have guesstimated that the average age of a lobster when it's a male is around 31 years and a female is around 54 years. I was surprised because the average human life expectancy is around 72.6 years winning, but I thought that lobsters would be able to live longer by having the reputation of immortality, but at least they're looking fresh. Okay, we have to suffer. All of us other animals have to suffer with the signs of aging, whereas lobsters look pristine as they age. So I guess they have that going for them. So even though there's an average life expectancy, that doesn't mean that there's those outliers, those lobsters that live far beyond expectation. They somehow have mustered up the energy to grow yet another big shell every time they molt, and they're out there looming in the darkness of the ocean. So I did some digging, and I found the five oldest lobsters ever found. My source for all this information was largest.org. And just for a reference, remember that the average weight of a lobster is 1.5 to 2 pounds. Max is usually around 3 to 4 pounds. So keep that in mind for these big daddy lobsters that I'm going to be listing out coming up. Okay, so coming in at number five is George, who was discovered in 2008. He was 20 pounds, 9.7 kilograms. He was found in Newfoundland, Canada, and he ended up in a New York restaurant called City Crab and Seafood, which is the last place you want to be when you're a lobster. And apparently, a lot of people had George's back because after only 10 days in this restaurant, a customer reported the lobster to PETA, and then PETA begged this restaurant to release George. He's so old. He's big. You can't leave him trapped in here. You can't eat him. And they believed he was around 104 years old. Luckily for George, the restaurant obliged, and he was released in a rocky cove in Kennebunkport, Maine. Coming in at number four is Louis, who was found in 1997. He was 22 pounds, that's 9.98 kilograms, so two pounds bigger than George. He was found in Hempstead, New York, in the United States. He was living in captivity in Peter's Clam Bar for over 20 years. Can you imagine living in a little tank for over 
20 years. And while Louis was residing in this clam bar in his little tank, his life was almost at stake because in 2017 on Father's Day, a customer tried to offer the restaurant owner, a guy named Butch, $1,000 to eat Louis. Thankfully, the owner decided to release the lobster. Phew. He even invited town officials to the ceremony to bid farewell to old Mr. Louis. This releasing after being in a little tank for 20 plus years had me thinking, can a lobster raised in captivity their entire life just be released and live in the wild? And apparently they can because Bob Bayer, who is an executive director of the Lobster Institute in Maine, assured people that Louis would most likely survive in the wild despite being captive for so long because, quote, there aren't many predators who want to eat a big old lobster like that, end quote. Well, Bob, I can name at least one person that came to the restaurant that wanted to eat Louis, and who's to say he isn't lurking in those waters trying to get his big fat lobster prize? Well, fingers crossed for Louis, and hopefully he is still alive and thriving. I don't know how old that would make him now. Pretty dang old. Number three, we're making our way through this list, is a lobster named Rocky, who was found in 2012. He was 27 pounds. That's 12.25 kilograms. And he was over 40 inches long. That's 101.6 centimeters. He was found in a Cushing, Maine, and he was caught in a shrimping net and brought to the Maine State Aquarium. I breathed a sigh of relief because that's where you want to be when you are a big old lobster. When you're found, you don't want to be in a restaurant. He was described as being the same size as a three-year-old child. Can you picture that? A three-year-old child. And imagine that as a lobster. That's almost like a lake monster or an ocean monster. Elaine Jones, who is an educational director for the State Department of Marine Resources, said that most of Rocky's weight was in his big ol' honkin' claws. She said, quote, it would break your arm. Can you imagine having such big meaty claws that it could break your arm kind of like a nutcracker? Thankfully, probably because they were afraid that he would start cutting off limbs, he was released in the wild near the aquarium. All right, I'm excited. We are almost at number one, but first, number two, it's a Guinness World Record holder, and this record was in 1977 for a 44-pound, six-ounce lobster. That's around 20.14 kilograms. That's a big daddy. He was found in Nova Scotia, Canada, and it's thought that this lobster was around 100 years old. I found it really depressing and sad that this lobster didn't have a name. As, as humans, I feel like when you find something that impressive and rare, your natural instinct is to name it, you know? Like Hunkin' Hank or Giant George. I don't know. Give him a name. We'll think of a name. If you guys have any names, let me know, and we'll name this Guinness World Record Holder. All right, so this brings me to number one, the biggest lobster ever found. Apparently, supposedly, because this story is kind of a little bit iffy, let me know what your thoughts are on this. So the largest Maine lobster ever found was found in 1926. It was recorded to be 51.5 pounds. That's 23.36 kilograms. Humongous. It was found in Maine in the United States. And the only evidence that this lobster existed is a black and white photo that shows a mounted lobster it looks like it's kind of on a wooden crate. 
As the story goes, this lobster was on its way to a private museum of a man named Charles Q. Eldridge from Mystic, Connecticut. However, on the way to the museum, the lobster was damaged in transportation, and the picture is the only evidence that this lobster ever existed. I don't know. I might think there's shenanigans, but a picture says a thousand words. And those thousand words say, oh my gosh, look at this huge giant lobster. It's so gigantic. Can you look at this gigantic lobster? Blah, 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 blah. But I think it's really impressive that a lobster can get that big. The last two lobsters don't have names. That still makes me upset. If you want to learn more about lobsters, I highly recommend this book called The Secret Life of Lobsters. It's an awesome read, and it's about how fishermen and scientists are working together to unravel the mysteries of our favorite crustacean. It's by Trevor Corson, and I loved this book. Cannot recommend it enough. They also have a part in this book that says that scientists who work on lobsters will eat the lobsters they study. I don't know if I can do that. I feel like if I spend a lot of time working with a certain lobster, studying its habits, you build a a sort of bond, and I'd feel bad boiling it in a pot. But these scientists were way too hungry to let that stop them. (laughs) All right, so lobsters aren't immortal. Sad. Because I was kind of hoping they were. But it did lead me to ask the question, what is the oldest animal ever recorded? It turns out that the animal that wins the oldest animal ever recorded title is yet another ocean dweller called the ocean quahog. It's a species of edible clam that's been recorded to live 400 years plus. And the oldest ocean quahog ever recorded is called Ming the Clam. It's in the Guinness World Record book, and it's the oldest animal in the world at 507. I had to look up what was happening at the time this little clam was born, and it made me realize the reason why the clam is named Ming is because it was born during the Ming Dynasty. That's an old clam. Oh, the stories that little clam probably could tell. All right, so if lobsters and Ming the Clam aren't immortal, then what animal is? Yet again, the answer might be in the ocean, the Turotopsis dornii, or the immortal jellyfish, which is its more popular name, is said to be one of the only immortal creatures we know of. For now, it's as big as a pinky nail, so it's a little guy, about 4.5 millimeters or 0.18 inches. It looks like a transparent bell with a bright red stomach in the center of it, and surrounding this little tiny mushy jellyfish is 90 small tentacles just sprouting out surrounding around it. It kind of looks like an ocean fairy. It was first discovered by Christian Summer. He's a marine biologist in 1988 in Rapallo, which is a small city in the Italian Riviera. Every morning, Summer went snorkeling off the cliffs of Portofino to find hydrozones. Hydrozones are small invertebrates that, depending on what stage they are in their life, They resemble soft coral or jellyfish. So it's while this guy was snorkeling that he gathered hundreds of tiny organisms with a plankton net. And among the organisms he collected was the Turritopsis dorini, the immortal jellyfish. So Summer brought these little dudes home and he observed them reproducing. And he noticed something odd about the Turritopsis. It wouldn't die. In fact, it appeared to age in reverse exactly like Benjamin Button. I wonder if that movie was inspired by the Turritopsis dorini. So here is the life cycle of this cute little jellyfish. 
The Turritopsis dornai begins life as a larva, or a planula, which develops from a fertilized egg. This planula then swims at first and settles on the ocean floor, where it grows into a cylindrical colony of polyps. These polyps ultimately spawn into a genetically identical medusa. Medusa is the animals we recognize as jellyfish today, and they go off swimming freely into the ocean and grow into adults in a matter of weeks. But how are they immortal? The secret in their immortality lies in their ability to leap back in their developmental process, aka reverse aging. It's a cellular mechanism behind this Benjamin Button ability called transdifferentiation. It's a big word, but it basically means the ability to convert stem cells of one tissue type to another completely different stem cell. So an example of this would be a blood cell can convert from being a little blood cell to a nerve cell or a brain cell to a liver cell. It's a fascinating process of basically recycling all of its cells and using them for cells that it needs. And using transdifferentiation, this is how the Turritopsis dornai cheats death. When this little jellyfish is injured or it senses its life is ending, this could be due to environmental stress or physical assault, it will revert back to its juvenile polyp state. It does this by retracting its tentacles, its body shrinks down, and then it sinks to the ocean floor and starts its life cycle all over again. The adult Turritopsis is observed regularly doing this in a laboratory setting, but it's only been observed in the laboratory, not in nature. So a lot of how this Turritopsis dornai goes backwards in age and then regrows into adult is still a mystery. Scientists are in fact interested in the immortal jellyfish and its unique transdifferentiational qualities because they hope to use them for humans to replace cells damaged by disease. So maybe we can live forever. Mwahahaha. <laughs> All right, that's where I'll end this episode. Hey, I would love to live forever, but only if everyone else that I loved and cared about could live forever with me, because I don't want to be like Edward Cullen, that vampire guy, and have all of my loves die around me. That sounds awful. Um, but then there'd be too many humans in the world. It would pile up. So maybe death is a good thing after all. And then, like Brad Pitt said in Troy when he was playing Achilles, every moment is that much more precious because it could be taken away from us. So, you know, it seems like living forever may be a great thing, but it probably starts a lot more problems than solutions. What do you think? Do you think we should have the ability to live forever? I don't know. I feel like I can ask my brain that question all day and never really have a definite answer. I'm sure it will spark a lot of interesting conversations. Speaking of starting interesting conversations, if you liked this episode, please share it with friends, family, your next-door neighbor, the person you went on a date with last week. This is a new podcast, so it really means a lot when you share with everyone you know and it can start some really cool conversations, and knowledge is best when it's shared. Also, something else that really helps this podcast get off the ground is rating, reviewing, subscribing. Never miss one of these episodes if you subscribe. You can hear so much about so many random things. Why would you not want to do that? 
also something to keep your eyes and ears open for is on Instagram, I'll usually do a little sneaky hint on what a future episode is going to be. And I'll ask all of you your opinion about it. And it's usually your comments and questions that I am inspired by. And I'll put inside the episode to add that much more meat to all of the knowledge that I collect. So if you want to keep an eye out for that, my Instagram is at it's Kendall Long. But for now, I shall bid adieu. This has been The Little Curiosities. I'm your host, Kendall Long. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope to see you again next week where we will be talking about something just as riveting. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Ben Milchev. Music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.